You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, the sermon that Jesus preaches today, I think, is difficult, and it's difficult not because the subject matter is difficult. In fact, it's so plain that it hardly deserves comment, but it, we need to comment on it because it is difficult for our flesh to hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus wants to call us hypocrites, to admonish us. Now, hypocrite is a word that we are more than comfortable with using, as long as it's directed at somebody else, right? But we cannot hear it when it's directed at us. So that we don't become hardened in our conceit or pride, we should pray that Jesus' sermon strikes its target so that our hearts would be convicted because the Lord would give us His grace. First, when Jesus calls us hypocrites, what is Jesus talking about? Classically, the word is used to denote a person who holds forth publicly, who answers and explains matters before a crowd of people. Um, to that, and to that end, it also meant an actor, somebody who would put on a mask, uh, and, and someone who would play a role on a stage. Now, Jesus jumps on this second meaning, and then he uses it almost exclusively to talk about the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, Jesus is saying, when he uses the word hypocrite, that these are men who are holding forth falsely, who are like stage actors playing a part. And though their words and actions are showing you one thing, their masks are concealing wickedness underneath. Or as Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto white sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanliness. Now, what's interesting to me is that when we use the word hypocrite in the English language, we take, we take it from the Bible, its usage. Right? Not from classical Greek literature, but from the Bible and how Jesus uses it. But the way we use it is wrong. When we say hypocrite, what do we mean? We usually mean somebody who does, who says one thing, right, with his mouth, right? And then the person will do something else with his actions or his hands. That isn't exactly what Jesus means by hypocrite. You see, what Jesus means is that a person can say good things and say the right things, and even their hands can do the things that are right and good in conformity with what they say, and yet their hearts, and yet their souls are very far from what they say and what they do. That's what it really means to be a hypocrite. It's to remember that God sees more, and He hears more than what we say and then what we do, God also sees our hearts, and He knows exactly 
what we are. Now, to have a heart that is at variance with one's actions and words, now that this is the essence of what it means to be a hypocrite, Jesus, in, our, in the Holy Scriptures and in his sermon, adds three marks to show us how we might recognize it. Certainly, how we might recognize it in others, but also, and more importantly, how we should recognize it within ourselves. Jesus says a hypocrite is quick to judge, quick to condemn, and he will not admit his own faults. All three of these symptoms come from a heart's corruption. It comes from a soul that is stained with sin. It comes from a soul that cannot escape its own condemnation. Now, this flesh, as we call it, that does not love God or serve its neighbor as it loves itself, this flesh has its own opinions of the Ten Commandments. The flesh has its own way of thinking about the law. The corruption of our hearts imagines that our righteousness, that a man's righteousness, which is his good standing before the throne of God in heaven, that our righteousness comes from works, the things that we do with our hands. And the flesh is so twisted in this opinion that it thinks that if it can achieve a great unity between what it says, what the mouth says, and what the hands do, then, then surely it can achieve a kind of righteousness to the point where God must ignore and overlook the vile, the vile thoughts and lusts and contempts that the heart has. For the hypocrite, the law is for the hands and the mouth, but it must never, ever touch the heart. Otherwise, it would be impossible to be a hypocrite, as Jesus says. Now, what happens when the Ten Commandments come close to the heart? You know that the answer is one of two things, either pride or despair. But there's a little bit of nuance here. Especially if we're thinking about hypocrites. Now, with regard to pride, this means that the hypocrite must flee from the demands and the accusations of the law against his heart, against what he thinks, against what he feels. And in running away from what the law says to his heart, he hardens himself in his opinion that the law is meant only for his hands and only for his mouth. Or with regard to spare. The law can crush the man into legalistic indifference, into not caring. What this means is that when you see a person who's being licentious, what that means is giving license to his own sins and to other people's sins, what this is is a kind of, it's a kind of despair, giving up. 
of conceding to the desires of the flesh, of no longer trying to hear the words of the law. Now, either with pride or despair, if you're trying to watch your your hands and what you say, if you're trying to make excuses for your sins and the sins of others, Jesus calls this judging others. And if you're prideful, you know that the standard of righteous conduct of your hands and your mouth must become a kind of tyrant against your neighbor. Now, I've seen this happen all the time. I suppose I have a pretty good idea. I don't know. People have not just the Ten Commandments, of course. They have all kinds of different legal codes that they use to judge other people. So, like, for instance, when I was in the Marine Corps, there were all kinds of little legalisms that people would use to judge their fellow Marines, like, uh, even though the regulations say your hair must be, you know, shaved at the sides and no longer than three inches at the top, if you had longer than two and a half inches or right at three inches, this meant that you were a very bad Marine. <laughs> so people would judge, right? And the way that you could evaluate a Marine on sight is by seeing, oh, just how high and tight his haircut was. Because that meant that <laughs> more than just keeping to the letter of the law, He was zealous to go beyond the letter of the law, right? There are all kind of arbitrary limits that people set up to judge others. And they'll they'll speak against those other people using these standards of judgment against them like a tyrant. That's what I'm talking about. We do the same thing with the Ten Commandments. But in trying to hold the Ten Commandments or any other kind of legal code or system against our neighbor, we're actually working against the commandments and the way that Jesus wants his law to be used. And it's evident. Because what is the very first commandment that falls as soon as you start judging your neighbor? It's the Eighth Commandment. Bearing false witness against your neighbor. You see, your neighbor's good name must be sacrificed. It must be slaughtered so that your name may look comparatively holy and good. Now, this is a comparative and a relative atonement for sure, but... (laughs) Most people, if not everybody, finds it at least somewhat effective in their own consciences. But these sacrifices are never satisfactory. That is, they never do enough. Once you slay one good name by saying, see how wicked they have done. See how their words and their actions haven't meshed up together, right? Then you have to find another good name to slay. And another good name, and another good name all so that your own name may look better than everybody else's. Now, to make this atonement by breaking the Eighth Commandment, the offices of judgment that God has established among us must be dismantled, destroyed, or forgotten. 
And so you conveniently forget that it is the duty of the pastor to preach against sins publicly when you go and gossip about your neighbor in front of many others. You take upon yourself the office of judge when you say that a person ought to be condemned and damned to hell for what they have done against you or your own. A hypocrite must gossip. He delights in spreading the vilest of rumors, and he lies without even realizing it. The hypocrite who lives by a law of righteousness, judged by one's words and actions, a hypocrite must think that mercy is impossible, that forgiveness is truly out of the question. Their judgments and condemnations must stand if their sham atonement has any chance of surviving from one moment to the next in their consciences. Dear saints, you don't have to break the Eighth Commandment to justify yourself. You don't have to murder your neighbor's good name to make yours seem better by comparison. And this is what Jesus also wants us to know this morning. You don't have to judge others. You must not judge others because you have a better righteousness than you could ever achieve by your words and your actions. You have a better righteousness than what you can find by looking into the depths of your soul and finding in there nothing but sin and corruption. Jesus has made atonement for your actions and your words. Jesus has made atonement even for your sick heart. And his cross satisfies when no other killing and when no other shedding of blood could. God who would judge you justly because of your sins has set that judgment aside. Because his son has died for you. The flesh comes to an end in the law. But in this gospel, in this preaching of God's mercy, a new life is born and it lives by faith, not by scrambling and scratching by works. By faith you are forgiven. By faith you are righteous, not because you have done anything, but because God has promised it to be true. As it has been done for you, for Christ's sake, Jesus says you must do it for others. You know something of mercy. You know something of love and forgiveness and of forbearance. And you know more than what the world could ever know. 
that a man does not live by the law. A man lives by mercy and kindness and forgiveness, even when it's not deserved. And so Jesus says, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Jesus is stating the facts. As you have been forgiven, you will forgive, and God will not enter into judgment with you by your works. Thanks be to God. Now, there are a couple of things that we can do to avoid being the hypocrite that Jesus preaches against. That is, the man who would go to his neighbor to complain about the speck in his eye when we have the log in our own. The very first thing that we should do is go to confession. We should go to confession. That's quite literally taking the log out of our own eye, taking the opinion of the law out of our minds that we are justified by works and that we ought to judge others according to their works, as if we could speak for God. There is a time and there is a place for rebuking and reproving our neighbors, right? But it cannot be done by us in a godly way unless we too confess and acknowledge our sin and hear forgiveness. Now, you hear the forgiveness of sins every Sunday morning when you come and hear Pastor Wolfmuller and I absolve you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we should seek out this word of forgiveness as often as we feel our sins, as often as we know our sins, so that we don't, in pride, run away from the law, right? And harden ourselves in our hypocritical opinions, nor do we, in despair, succumb to the law and its crushing weight and think to ourselves, it's no use, I'll sin, no matter, and I'll let everybody else sin. No, when we feel our sins, when we hear the law, we should go to our pastor, we should go to our brothers and our sisters and say, tell me about Jesus, forgive me my sins. The second thing that we should do is we should remember the offices of judgment and to whom God has given them, right? There are three offices of judge in this world. There are those uh, uh, who are the fathers, who must instruct and admonish their children and their households in the word of God. There are pastors who have been given the instruction from God to instruct and to reprove, to admonish, right? And then there are the, uh, the judges of civil society, whom God has given the sword to punish wickedness and to uphold virtue. Now, it may be that some of you are fathers. It may be that some of you are parents. It may be that some of you are pastors. It may be that some of you even are sworn-in judges and officers. And yet, and yet, even if you hold these offices, I guarantee that when the sins of others are confronted in your life, 
when you see it happening in the lives of others, and you're thinking about what you should do about that, the way in which you should first respond to it is by your office as Christian. And that is what Jesus is articulating. You have to ask yourself, what is my, what is my position here? Has God commanded me to reprove my brother? To instruct him? Or has he instructed me to confess my sins and to hear my brother's confession and to forgive and to love him just as my Heavenly Father has loved me? There is a time when dads have to tell their kids to be good. There's a time when pastors must preach against sins like the sin of hypocrisy, I suppose. There's time when, well, I don't know, you must be pulled over for a speeding ticket. Let us always remember, first of all, that we are Christians. And as we have been forgiven by God's pure kindness and mercy, so we too should forgive our neighbors and remember that Jesus also has died for for them. God grant us his grace that we Act like this towards our neighbor always. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.